Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. We've all heard the expression, but for the grace of God, there goes I. Now, what that tells us is this, that God's grace makes a significant difference in one's life. We could state it even more powerful than that. God's grace makes an eternal difference in someone's life. And normally when we think of God's grace, many passages from the New Testament come into our mind. But in this study, we're going to focus in on God's grace and the marvelous changes that His grace brings about in our life. And we're going to do so from an Old Testament passage from the book of Psalms and Psalm 52. So with that said, take out your Bible and look with me to that location, Psalm 52. Now here in this Psalm, we're going to see a comparison. We're going to see that, that David is going to be contrasted with a man by the name of Doeg the Edomite. Now, we could spend a great deal of time talking about Edom, that people, that land, and their patriarch Esau, and how wicked, perverse, and how God hated these individuals. Not because of the fact that they were, were of Edom, but because of what they stood for. They constantly were against the things of God. We saw that Esau was, was that way. He wasn't interested in the heritage of the Lord, in the will of God. He didn't see any relevance of that for his life. Why? Because God's will has a kingdom implication. He wasn't interested in the kingdom. He didn't believe in eternity. He was worldly minded. And what I want to share with you at this time is this. When we receive God's grace, that being a recipient of the grace of God is going to give us a vastly different point of view, a new perspective. And that means we're going to see things not from the position of the world, but from the position of a kingdom faith from the standpoint of eternity. We're going to look at things very differently. So let's begin. We see in the beginning part of this psalm that there's a inscription. And an inscription gives us wisdom, insight, knowledge concerning many times what type of psalm it is. There's different types of psalm. What was going on that caused the author to write it down? There's instructions and insight within this inscription. Now, this one tells us, let's begin. Look at 
the first verse in the Hebrew text, it may be above your first verse in some other language, but it reads here, which means literally two, and we could translate this phrase as the chief musician, the orchestra leader, the conductor of the choir. However you translate it, we see here that it tells us the next word is maskil. And a maskil is a specific type of psalm. It comes from a word which means means intelligence or knowledge or wisdom. And it speaks about wisdom and knowledge, intelligence that makes one successful, prosperous. But not necessarily prosperous in the things of this world, but prosperous in the things of the kingdom. When we use the, the noun that's derived from the root word, it means sechel, which is intelligence that causes one to walk in God's will, being in his will and doing his will and bringing forth the fulfillment of his purposes, his plans. That's what success is. Not how much money is in your bank account, not how much you possess in, in various things that you have acquired throughout your life, but it's storing up good promises from God, his rewards in the kingdom of God. And then it simply tells us at the end, Le David, which means of David, meaning this psalm is by David. He's the author. So again, to the chief music director, we know it's a maskil, this type of psalm, and it's by David. And then we're going to find out some context why David was inspired to write it down. We see in the next verse, when Doeg, the Edomite, he came and he said to Shaul, this is King Saul. Now, we know that Saul wanted to put David to death. He hunted him down. And that's relevant for this, this psalm. Because in this verse that we're dealing with, it says, when Doeg came, and Doeg the Edomite, and he declared to Shaul. What did he declare? Well, we're going to find out as we keep reading what he said to him that David had came to the house of Ahimelech. Now, this is something that you can read about in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. As I said, King Shaul was pursuing David, wanting to kill him. And David fled to a priestly city. He and his men, they were hungry. And this individual that we mentioned, Ahimelech, he was the head priest in this location. And he made the decision to take the showbread and give it to David and those who were with him because they were very hungry. In order to sustain them, it would have been known as what's called in Hebrew today, Pikuach nefesh, meaning he did this because he wanted to save their life. And it was Doeg the Enemite 
that heard about this event. He heard that David was in this location that Ahimelech assisted him and his priests. And therefore he, as it says here, he told it to Saul, saying to him that David came to the house of Ahimelech and all the information about it, how this priest helped David. Next verse begins with the phrase, what? And it means for what purpose? We could understand it as why. Why do you take praise in evil, O mighty one? Now, the mighty one is Doeg. He is a man of, of prominence. He has power, authority, wealth. He is successful in this world, but from the perspective of the world, not God. God is not pleased with him. This man walks not successfully, meaning not in the will of God, but rather according to his own purpose, his own plan. So it says, for what do you praise yourself in evil, almighty one? And then we have a contrast. It says grace, this Hebrew word chesed, the grace of God, kol hayom, which means all the day. Now, that has a meaning of continuously. God's grace is always available. It always functions. It always works in our life. And this phrase, kohayom, just doesn't mean continuously, but in every location, in every situation. So we see the contrast. Doeg, he trusts in wickedness in order to help him achieve his goals, his desires, what he's about. But, but David, in contrast to that, he pursues the grace of God that, that changes his situation and brings him into God's will. Next verse. He says here, your tongue. Now, I believe a few translations leaves out this second person singular possessive noun where it says your tongue your tongue devises thinks about and we have a different word for evil things wicked things those things which are bad from god's standpoint so your tongue and it's a word here for for speaking but but it's not speaking but thinking it speaks about how his words his tongue devises thinks about wickedness and it's like a razor and the word here for razor means a sharp razor which has been polished and what does it do it makes deceit now this word for deceit and there's a few of them and this is one form of it means cheating so he has a, a sharp, polished tongue that he, he devises evil in order to make deceit, in order to take advantage. He's not trying to bless people. What does he do? He connives in his mind. That, that conniving in his mind will, will manifest itself through his words, which allows him to devise 
evilness in order to accomplish what he wants to do. And then it says still about Doeg, you have loved evil more than good, falsehood more than words of righteousness, Selah. Now, what I like about this psalm is we see this contrast between good and evil, righteousness and deceit, falsehood, all of these things. And what we are are led to conclude is that David is one who's committed to that which is good, that which is righteous, that which is, is rooted in the will, the purposes of God. But Doeg, he rejects all of that, pursuing his desires, what the world has to offer. He has no connection, no faith in the kingdom of God. He does not pursue the blessings, the promises of God. So he likes evil more than good, falsehood than speaking righteousness. Look now to the next verse. You have loved all the words of destruction. And then it says, a tongue of deceit. Now, we've come across this word deceit or cheating a few times, twice specifically. And it's two different forms. One has to do with with cheating. And the other has to do with deceiving one for the purpose of, of denying them taking advantage of them, causing them to make a decision that's not what they think that they're doing. So he says in this passage, a tongue of deceit, you have loved the words of of, of destruction and the implications. This is the opposite of David. Next verse, also God, because of these things, There's a response from God. And this really brings us into a very important biblical truth. And it's this. Do you believe God will judge? One of the dangerous things that's within Christianity today is is just taking away this whole concept of judgment, wrath, punishment, and, and putting forth a a love that is not biblically based, a a grace that is not at all tied to the will of God, and and taking away concepts such as righteousness and holiness from God. God will judge disobedience. That rebelliousness is going to be punished. And this is what David believes, and therefore it's the reality of a judging God that causes David to receive God's grace. And it says here, also God will destroy, and notice this next word, le netzach. What's that? Forever. So God's judgment, as we see here, is forever. It is unending. His wrath is eternal. And it's only when we truly believe that are we going to seek God's grace, and be committed to his will. Because we don't want to encounter a God of wrath. We want to encounter the God of grace. And it's only when we encounter and receive this God of grace by faith, 
through that gospel message, then we can be assured that we won't experience this destruction from the wrath of God. What else does he do? It says here, he will cut you and he will remove you from, and this next word is ohel, which is tent in Hebrew. So there's going to be a taking away, a removal of the wicked from their tent, meaning from their dwelling place. And some have understood this as earth being in this world. Remove them from where they dwell. And then it says, and to be uprooted, you will be uprooted from the land of life. Selah. So when we look at the second part of this, this verse, the conclusion of this verse, where it says, you will be uprooted from the land of living, Selah. We see that removal, taken away from this world, taken out of your habitation, your home, your tent, your dwelling place, and brought into a new location. Implication is where God will destroy, that he will cut, that he will uproot. Verse, verse 8 in the Hebrew text, it says, the righteous ones, they will see. And this is a word for perceiving. They see how God renders judgment. Now, there's a final judgment, a pouring out of his wrath. But when you look with discernment, you can see how people exalt themselves. And then later on, God brings them down. So the righteous will see this and they will fear. And concerning him, this is Doeg. It says, they will be amused. Many will say laugh, but it's a word for, for plain. And plain here has a sense of amusing. And understand what, what the passage is saying. It's saying that the righteous ones, they are seeing how the wicked are succeeding. We see that all the time. You know, people say crime doesn't pay, but there's a lot of wealthy criminals going around this world it pays but we can be assured we can take comfort it's amusing to us how so often those who have exalted themselves god brings down and he brings them down quickly and even if not in this world we know when god sets up his kingdom they will be brought down eternally so the righteous ones will see they're going to fear. That is, they're going to give God priority, this God of judgment. And they concerning him, this Doeg and those like him, they're going to be amused, meaning they're going to find satisfaction in the wicked being cut down. Next verse. Behold the man, and it's still speaking about Doeg, who will not make God his, his strength. And will not, will not trust in the things of, of God, but rather it says, and he will trust in the abundance of his wealth, and he will strengthen himself in his wickedness. Now, this is speaking about one who believes the power. It's not in God, but it's in wealth, in riches. And who strengthens himself in what? In wickedness rather than in righteousness. So the more we look at this psalm, we see the, the contrast 
between how one that has received God's grace, how he behaves, how she thinks, what he does, what she does, and how one who rejects God's grace, how they think, how they behave. Next verse. Now David is speaking about himself. He says, and I am like an olive tree. Now, many Bibles will say green, but it's not the word green. This would be yarok. It is the word here, ra'anan. Ra'anan, if you do a study of this, it will talk about something that is, is refreshed, fervent, something that is, is strong, healthy. So it speaks here, and David does so concerning himself. But I, but is in contrast to Doeg, this one who trusts in wealth is wealth and in, in wickedness. He says, but I am like a, a renewed or refreshed olive tree. Where? In the house of God. For I have trusted, notice this, I have trusted in the grace of God. Why? Forever and ever. And that term, olam ved, is a kingdom expression. We hear forever, and all too often we just think of eternity. But if we're talking as believers concerning eternity, we're talking specifically about the kingdom of God. See, you are either going to spend eternity in God's kingdom, or you're going to be cast out into utter darkness. That speaks about fear. Where there's going to be weeping, that speaks about sadness. And there's going to be the gnashing of teeth, which speaks about suffering, intense pain. But David is saying, I have trusted in the grace of God. And therefore, he says, I have a kingdom hope, a kingdom perspective. And because of that, that kingdom perspective, notice what he says, our last verse. I will give thanks to you forever because you have done. And that simply means what God has done. Whatever God does has eternal implications. See, we want God to work in our life. We want to serve him. We want to do his will. We want his purposes to be manifested through our acts. Why? All of that has eternal implications to it. When we focus in on the things of this world, this world, what does Yaakov say? I'm speaking about James. This life is but a vapor. And we are not good managers of that limited amount of time that we have that flees. We need to realize it's the grace of God that gives us, remember what I said earlier, it gives us a different perspective. So David says, I will give thanks to you. That means to you, O oh God, forever. For you have done, you have acted. And he says, and I will hope for your name. Now, some will say wait, but it's not the word wait. It's better understood because if you look at this verb and you make it into a noun, it's the word tikva, which is hope. So he says, I will hope, or literally, I have hoped for what? Your name. For good, and this means goodness, which will be before your chassidim. 
And here the word chasadim simply means it's from the same word for grace, those who have received grace. So David says, I have that hope in your name. Now, name, and I've said this so many times, is synonymous with character. David says, God, it's because of your character that I have hope. And that hope is for good. What's good? God's will to be a recipient of God's will. And all of this is going to be to be revealed among your chassidim, those who have also received your grace. The word chassid means one who has received God's grace. So this is not, what David is saying here is not an abnormal experience, but all those who have received God's grace. They are going to be ones who are worshiping God and have this hope, a hope that they are going to receive good, that which is good from a kingdom perspective. And they're going to receive it in a revealed manner before others who have taken hold of the grace of God. So let me ask you a question. Have you done that? Have you received God's grace? And there's only one way to do so. And that is by confession. Confessing with your mouth. Believing in your heart. Concerning the one who has done the work in order to make grace available. David experienced God's grace prophetically. He claimed in advance the promises. But ultimately, God's grace in that full manner, that grace that really makes one a new creation, wasn't available until Messiah came. When he left heaven, he took on human flesh, and he served his heavenly Father for those three years. Well, ultimately, on Passover, he went to Jerusalem. He died upon that tree. He was buried, and he rose again. Why? so that we could receive God's grace. And there's that relationship between the grace of God and the mercy of God. It's only through God's grace. It's the only way through the work of Messiah that you can be forgiven of your sins. So receive God's grace by making that confession that, oh God, I am a sinner. I have done those things that are not according to your will. I have behaved according to that which you see as wrong, as bad, as evil, as wicked. And I trust in Messiah's work, that he died upon that tree to be my redeemer, in order that his blood that was shed would redeem me from all of my sins, iniquities, and transgression, that I could be forgiven and be a recipient of this grace that changes me that regenerates me, that makes me a new creation, as Paul says. Anyone who is in Messiah, he is a new creation. And that new creation is a kingdom creation, which gives us the potential through the indwelling Holy Spirit to walk in obedience with God, to be in his will and doing his purposes. That's what David is admonishing. David is encouraging us to do. Well, I'll close with that until next week and we move on 
in our study of the book of Psalms. Until then, may God richly bless you. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank you.